This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Use your charisma, your charm, your wit. We're in some trouble. <laughs> hey, welcome to Shirts and Ties, a podcast about education and culture. I'm Brian Miller. And I'm Casey Shirts. Casey, what did we already talk about? Well, we had a guest come on a show and she was fantastic. Jen Ford. She was awesome. Yeah. And we got into it right away. We did. So uh, we're recording this intro after the fact. <laughs> so guys uh, and gals, this is a fantastic episode. Jen Ford. Jen Ford. Yeah. Killed she's it. She's awesome. So, oh. Yeah, she's awesome. Casey, thanks for bringing her on. Enjoy the episode. It's fantastic. Largely because she does most of the talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So if you didn't want to listen to us, if you tune in to not listen to us, today's the day. We have the episode for you. All right. Here you go. All right. Enjoy Jen Ford. Jen, do you hear us? I can hear you guys. Hello. There you are. Hey, thank you. How's thank it going? you. Do you have any thoughts or anything before we really get into this? Well, I might be able to learn a little bit from you guys as well. I mean, it's um, it's a really tricky place that educators find themselves in right now because on the one side, you have parents' rights. On the other side, you have kind of the orthodoxy of a well-rounded education. And then you probably have some people that are pushing the envelope of what is considered acceptable education. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I went to a um, very progressive boarding school in um, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, which was actually founded by a slave owner, which is a whole other story. Um, And I was um, taught from the there's a history book called American History, which doesn't sound very like earth shattering, but it talked a lot about slavery in plain terms and like what actually happened during Jim Crow and Reconstruction. Um, and I think it's actually a book that's now considered too much, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think back on my own education and I'm like, I, you know, I don't know everything and I don't have kids. So I think there's a lot of things I can talk about just broadly in terms of effective communication with people with opposing views, but you guys might teach me a lot about what's going on and what's been working as well. Yeah. And you're getting right into it, which I appreciate, but I was just going to (laughs) say, I I do want to give a, yeah. So we usually talk over each other. So now we got a third person to talk over. This is great. Uh, I want to give a brief introduction though, for our listeners, just so they have an idea of, of are you starting the podcast already? Should we not? (laughs) Are we ready? Can we do that? I I thought we already, honestly, what Jen was saying was so good. I think we got to leave it all in. So let's right, roll. Let's, we're getting at so Jennifer. I thought we were going to do more of like uh, getting to know each other, but this is great. Let's just dive into it. No, so yeah. so for, for our listeners here, um, we're super excited to have Jen Ford on. Uh, she's a, a graduate of Georgetown. Got her Juris Doctor from University of Colorado, right? Yep. Uh, yep. You're the president and founder of the Frederick Mountain Group, a consulting firm, right? Yep, that's and, right. And, and what I think is, as someone who loves to stay at a comfortable hotel, I think the most impressive fact is that you were a wilderness guide for seven years. Is that right? Yep. Uh, yeah. So- and I can't guide anymore, but like I'm, at, and this is probably why I sound like this every weekend. I'm out camping. <laughs> oh, 
I can't Jennifer, even. Jennifer, you and that. I are connecting on a. Actually, I think we should change my podcast. Jennifer's going to be my new co-host because you and I okay. have more in common than me and Casey do. Okay. All right. Well, it's been a good run. You guys enjoy <laughs> this thing. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Let's put you on the spot right away. What's the yeah. absolute number one best wilderness spot that you got to take people to? Oh, man. Gosh, there's so many. I had the privilege of working in the Wind River Range for nearly two years, and there's just not a bad spot out there. It's a beautiful space. There's lots of space for people. Um, if you might, don't mind walking more than 10 miles, you will see some of the most amazing things you'll ever see in the lower 48 states. Casey will drive that with his Lexus, but he'll never walk it. Yeah, and then I'm assuming you stay in a five-star hotel, right? I will tell you a really quick, funny story. We did the main salmon. Um, so I can't hike as much as I used to because I had a climbing accident. But um, so I do a lot of river camping now. And we did the main salmon, which is like a five day trip through the Frank Church wilderness area. And we camp on the river. But there's all these like float in and fly in very nice uh, like uh, cabins and retreats. Yep. And I'm telling you right now, my little dog. To real, once he realized that he could be staying on like 800 thread count sheets was like get me out of here right now there's so many pictures of him just grumpy in the boat like soaking wet just like i could be at a hotel right now <laughs> yeah so maybe your dog and i could have a podcast together right. <laughs> yes it'd be a lot it'd be very judgmental <laughs> <It's incredible>. sounds <laughs> about right <laughs> Yep. I think that's it. <laughs> All, right, All right. We got a new order. We got, we got it. <laughs> hey, so let's, let's get into this a little bit. Cause I think we got a lot to cover and we don't, we want to value your time. So yeah. just one of the things that um, I was thinking about when I asked you to join us was it feels more and more that some of the jobs of educational leaders includes marketing and, and putting a little spin on the work that they're doing. And if that's the case, then I guess we're seeking some advice on how to do that. And, and one thing I'm thinking about is when the test scores come out and if they're really good, like how do educational leaders market that? How do they push that out there so that the community understands the kind of success the school's having or the alternate, which is test scores come out and they're not great. And then what do the educational leaders do to spend that. So I guess my general question is how can schools do a better job of marketing themselves so that the community really understands the work that's being done in the schools? That's a great question. Um, you guys are podcasters, so I assumed you would ask great questions, but that's a really good one because a lot, I think a lot of the challenges that education educators and educational institutions are facing right now is a PR and a branding issue, mm. right? And so what you have are people telling your story. And from a marketing standpoint, you never want that. You always want to be in charge of your own narrative. And you always want to be out there touting what's happening in your community. I don't want to should all over anybody in the educational system. You guys are working so hard right now that I, what I'm going to say is if there is one extra minute of free time in your day, which I know there isn't, here's some things that could work. Um, I, I also should just as a full disclosure, I just recently joined a private school uh, board. So I'm a volunteer board member for Teton Science School over here in Jackson. So I'm also learning a little bit about this and working with them on this. But, you know, one of the things I think is remember your audience isn't just your parents. It never really has been. It's always been the taxpayer. 
mm. for every public institution. And it's important to think about what do what are the key things they need to know, right? And so that might be something that lives in the world of administration and superintendents. It may not be the place of teachers to be out there doing this work. Um, and I think that's really important. So really having a good flow of communication with your administration to say, let's celebrate the good news. Let's make sure that it's not just in the PTA report or it's not just in the report out to individual parents or individual parent groups. Let's make sure maybe once a month we're, and maybe people are already doing this, but you know, once a month, the superintendent or once a quarter, the superintendent goes in front of the county commissioner and in front of town council and any other bodies, uh, not just to their own board, and talks about what's going on in the districts, what's what's working, where are their opportunities. Also, you know, kind of like if we think about like ESPN, you know, post uh, game reports, you know, mm-hmm. so when something happens, it's like, let's get out there and talk about this as somebody who's worked in uh, children's rights advocacy for many years before I became what I am now. You know, I worked with the Children's Defense Fund as an intern, as a volunteer. Um, there's a lot of things that affect test scores and affect children's performance. Mm. Um, there's nothing short of a full-blown mental health crisis that nearly every single community is experiencing uh, and in their children or school-age demographics. There, there's no question about that. And Wyoming in particular it is, it's near crisis level. And because we're a rural community as Wyoming and we are a bunch of little rural communities, it's very hard for parents and for school systems to find um, enough licensed mental health professionals to get through that. I think it's really important to remember that teaching doesn't happen in a bubble. As a former Knowles instructor, you know, we would actually do lessons, right? And so maybe we're out in the middle of it. We will be go out for 15 to 30 days at a time. There might be a good time. I'm kind of pivoting off that question. I'll come back to it. But there's not always a great time to be teaching. Sometimes it's a good time to be listening. Sometimes it's a good time to be snacking. And I think when teachers, I feel, I I know teachers feel like they want to, they want to sing their story from the hilltops. But I think we have to remember teaching happens inside the larger context of our lived worlds and experiences. And so maybe part of the marketing is just talking about what the community is going through. Um, I've worked with some school districts where you know, we just mentioned how many how many young people in the district uh, rely on uh, food, rely on uh, government food supplements. Uh, you know, there's I, I won't get into the specifics, but there's some communities I've worked with where, the you know, over 40 percent of the, the students uh, are eligible and use the free and reduced meals. That has a huge impact on what coming back to school looks like. Right. If they are food insecure during the summer and there's not other programs or uh, things like that. Or if, impacts, if I can interrupt you, doesn't it also yeah. radically impact the direction of your message? Because if yeah. you if you want to be talking about and celebrating certain things, if 40 percent of your community and your audience is free and reduced, uh, we got to be cognizant of some of our messaging doesn't really matter because that's not their concern. Their concern yeah. is getting food on the table. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's that's part of it. Right. Like thinking so if I put a little shorter version of it, remember your audience, remember that you can't be all things to all people. And that this is probably as much a job for like a leadership group or the administration level in your school to be touting those good deeds, because it it may not be best coming from the teacher, though certainly you can. I think um, more collaborative working with the administration to get those success stories out is really important. 
I appreciate you saying that because as I'm listening to you speak, especially in the beginning when you were saying uh, the the taxpayer versus the parent, which I don't know why I've never really thought about that. That was a really great insight. So thank you for that. We have a fantastic district leader here, but they only see him as a district leader. And so of course he's going to give this particular message. Having a teacher or a principal who we all look at our admin, our, our uh, superintendent and say, this is your job and responsibility. It's also very much our job and responsibility to stand alongside or to be in front and saying, no, here's what's going on in my classroom, in my school, yeah. here's the message. Uh, Cause that's more frontline storytelling. Would you agree with that? I think, again, I don't want to overwhelm our teachers who are already sure. doing a great job. So let me just, can, I will continue to caveat that you can edit out as much as you want, but <laughs> I think, what I would love for teachers to think about is what does success look like for them and their students and what's the best messaging and storytelling to help achieve that success. Yeah. So regardless of what's going on in your classroom, if success looks like we have, let's just keep going on this 40 students on free and reduced meals. And those students are, have our test scores are like 2% higher than the average student in that demographic. And that's a win or, You know, we've seen a steady increase in that test score and the test scores in that demographic. Um, and, you know, maybe even bring the parents in to talk about like what life is like. So yeah. um, one thing to think about with messaging, and I think this is where you're going, is it's not always just the leader's job to be the messenger. Sometimes a parent who's also a teacher can be a great messenger. Sometimes a parent who has really leaned on this, the district for resources can be a great messenger. Um, I would say... Don't feel like it's all on your shoulders. Think collaboratively and collectively because a message is so much stronger when it's a we, not an I mm. or a me. Mm. So, Jen, to follow up on that, how would it, how would district leaders go about identifying those core principles that we want to keep repeating as the message that we're sending out? Because I think what we have to be able to do is we have to say that these are principles that almost everyone in our community would agree on. And we want to hammer these principles uh, as we are talking to the community to the point that everybody from the leadership all the way down to maybe even the students themselves are repeating this same message. So one of the things I always start with is what are your actual mission, vision, and value statements? Like what are, what, what are those? And do, are those, are those current? Are they relevant? And I always say you lead with your mission. Right. You know, so whether you're writing a press release or something, if it's, if your mission is to, you know, educate every child, prepare every child for tomorrow, then underneath that pillar, this is where that story goes. Right. So you have the mission, then you have your vision statement or your core values. And maybe that's how you organize your message. Right. So if you have five core values that guide your district, where's a good story within each of those core values? You know, civility, um, sportsmanship, um, kindness, whatever they are. I obviously do not know the four values, so apologies. But um, making sure that you're living your mission, vision, and values through the stories. And so where are how many times have we told a story, not just about success, but about success with adversity or success in the face of, um, you know, daunting odds, things like that. And so sometimes it can be really hard to know what to say to people, But always start thinking about what is the desired outcome of my statement? What do I want people to take away from what I'm about to say or what we are about to say? 
and then think about the message along your mission, vision, and values. Hey, really quick, I want to interrupt this uh, fantastic discussion uh, and just do a plug again for Peer Driven PD and Mike Alpert, who's doing great things. Uh, if you want to inspire your teachers, give them the tools that they need to be excellent. If you want to give them autonomy in their practice and uh, pursuit of mastery in their craft, Peer Driven PD is the way to go. There's nothing more rewarding to a teacher and makes them feel more valued when they have a voice and they get to decide, hey, here's the thing I need right now. I can go grab that thing. So if you're a building leader and you want to make your teachers feel like you really support them, peer-driven PD is the way to go. Here's one of the cool things about it too. If you invite Mike Galpert and peer-driven PD to your school, they will also interview and record some of your best teachers, which I know you've got a handful of them in your building and they will become a part of the platform. So not only are your teachers being blessed, you can also bless teachers around the nation, around the world through Peer Driven PD. Check it out. Mention shirts and ties. You get 10% off that purchase and your purchases for the next year, be it an individual or you as a district. Peer Driven PD, mention shirts and ties. It's the way to go. All right, let's get back to this discussion with Jennifer. I think we're both writing down so many notes. There's a long pause I there. I am. Uh, I really, if I can come back, um, because I think to me as a, as a building principal, and if I can speak to a lot of the teachers that I know, your previous statement of parents' rights versus well-rounded education um, is a very acute way of describing what seems to be the struggles in communities. Uh, and so can we just land on that for a little bit because yeah if we if we were to strip away so much of the the arguments that we have in our schools or around schools we all are all wanting the same thing we want what's best for kids we want them to be safe we want them to improve in life whatever that means it doesn't have to mean university it doesn't it can be a trade whatever that is we want them to be better people but we get so hung up on some of the um, the lingo that is surrounding schools. And, and I, I'm not, I don't really ever know how to ask this question, but it seems as though um, we are now in a political divide that is, is being fought on our school grounds. So if I can ask you a question that will lead to a bigger question, would you agree that for historically um, politics wasn't really involved in school. They weren't using schools to 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 reach their agendas or to pursue their agendas. But through the many ways in which we have siloed ourselves, and so you can go into social media that like if you like a particular show or if you like a particular news outlet, you can exist in that and that alone, right? And you're only going to be fed that message. And so if you want to reach the entire audience, you have to find a communal ground, and that communal ground is now schools. So would you agree that schools, or is it fair to say that schools are a political battleground? So I would say two things. The first is schools have always been a political battleground. It's just looked different. If you think about desegregation, yeah. um, you know, that was a huge thing that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The notion of segregation, then the desegregation movement, um, that's been a huge a huge political battle. Um, it's it's still being fought, if you can even real imagine that, sure. in many communities uh, across the country. So I would also say from a conservative standpoint, I have heard that schools have been a political battleground for a really, really long time, that okay. there's a there's a liberal or a left-leaning bias within the school structure 
that is not a new thought or a new concept. That would have been something that Rush Limbaugh would have said in 2000. I don't know if you remember back in the 2000 election, the anti-intellectualist movement, right? You know, George Bush is the kind of guy I could have a beer with. Um, so I think sometimes we have very short memories if you don't spend a lot of time in politics, which I do, about the issues of the day. I try my best not to, so which is why that, you are so much more articulate on this. <laughs> this, is, this is actually, I think, you just hit the nail on the head for my second thing. People had a lot more time to read and think about becoming politically active during COVID. And so what you have is a lot of people who probably up and until like COVID did not pay very much attention to the talking heads on either side. But, you know, the fear of a, a global pandemic, the fear that we are losing our country uh, is a very serious one for certain pockets and demographics. And I think what you're seeing is a lot more civic involvement based on what could be considered by some to be misinformation about okay. the actual situation. So you have people who have not paid attention to this for years and now are like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And have a lot of fear because of fear of other things. That was very well said. And thank you for, for clarifying my own misunderstanding. So with that answer, I want to get back to this parents' rights versus well-rounded education, because I, I love that distinction. How do we navigate, we as educators, and, I, and I, it's a multi-tiered question, I guess, because you have me, the principal, that's responsible for this discussion with parents of well-rounded education versus their rights. And then parents or teachers also feel like at times they're the front lines of this battleground where they have to navigate a parent's rights in the classrooms and the students' rights in the classroom versus, but this is how we have a well-rounded education. How do we, how do we give that message that is, that is inviting, but it's also, and I don't know how to say this, so Casey, you can help me out with my wording, but also makes us feel and that we're confident in what we're doing. Because yeah. we are educators who I feel like are confident that we went to school. We, we, we know what it's like to be a well-rounded thinker and we want to hang our hat on that and also allow for parents' rights. Talk me through that a little bit. Well, it's a, it's a sticky wicket. So uh, one thing you'll hear me say a lot is it's hard because it's hard, not because you're doing it wrong. So Ooh, that's, gracious. that's the first thing. It's hard because it's hard. Um, Anytime you're talking about someone's child, there is going to be a sense of um, it, it's just not it's, it's not like I mean, I get I don't have like I said, I don't have kids, but parents want the best for their children. They absolutely yes. do. Parents are constantly looking for what the best is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so depending on your political leanings and things like that, what's best this is where that whole intersection becomes really important. It's best for my child just to learn the basics. Okay, well, let's talk about what the basics are, right? Let's talk about, you know, what that looks like. So I would say parents' rights are always important. I think I'm going to invoke something that, that comes back from when I worked with at-risk kids is parents' rights are absolutely incredibly important, but we don't allow parents just to you know, beat their kids into a pulp. We don't allow these things. So what we have to do is find out what that healthy balance is between parents' rights and best interests of the child, which is a legal term of art as much as a philosophical term of art. Best interests of the child is, is something that when you're not the parent, that's the standard you're held to, whether you're a judge, a teacher, 
a doctor, you know, we think about mandatory reporting. There is a place for that kind of intervention. I also think you have to meet the parents where they are. Um, I think especially in rural communities, parents are very scared. The news sources they listen to tell them that their kids are being groomed and indoctrinated. Um, there's an opportunity for schools to really tackle that on. So instead of focusing on, should we teach about slavery or should we teach about the Holocaust? Um, you know, these are, these are things that happened. <laughs> so let's just agree that they happened. The good and bad of it, we can talk about. And, and I think in Florida, you see a lot of legislatures trying to legislate what that means, but it's very, very hard. It's really hard to know how to, you know, and I think what you're really asking is, and let me jump around a little bit. So in Iowa, they have a new policy about what books can't teachers can teach from. It just started. It was passed in the legislature and it just comes into effect this this year. Um, and you have teachers that aren't really sure what the law means, right? And it came from a place of fear that teachers were doing something wrong, that teachers were doing something that was... Um, I, I'm trying to think of some really politically neutral terms here, but it's really hard. But what we have to start with is like coming back to that center ground. The hard part is a lot of this fight has moved from one-on-one -on -one conversations between teacher and parent or you know principal and parent and are now being fought, not even at the school board level, but at the legislative level. And that makes it really hard because one of the things I learned at, when I was at Georgetown, I studied politics is there's lots of things that really ought not be legislated because it's so much gray that it creates more mess than it solves. And I think some parents and some parent groups are really pushing legislatures to ban this or do that or include this or exclude that. And it's just a lot more gray than that. And I think that's where we all have to get comfortable again, is there's a lot of gray around this. Like maybe your two-year-old doesn't need to know about slavery. That's fine. But there's, I'll just give a personal example. This is the example I always give to parents who talk about like that. My kid's too young to learn about that. So for the listeners at home, I'm a black woman. I was born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I grew up in outside of the DC area, then Western Maryland, which um, like Frederick County, Maryland, which is right up on the Appalachian Trail. It was incredibly rural. It's become a lot more of a suburban community, but the Klan used to march in my, our town, like around the county fair. Like that's that's what we're talking about. I was called the N-word from earliest memory. Um, I, as a child, needed to understand what the heck was going on because I didn't understand why I would be treated. And, and by the way, to give some more context to this, I'm not like 85 years old. I'm 41. I would like to think of myself as somewhat young. So this is not like history. You are this still young. Casey's old. You and I are young. <laughs> You're much younger than I am. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, when I think about it, it's like, you know, like kids are too young for this. Kids are too young for that, which I think is a lot of what's going on here. We want to protect and we want kids to have a childhood. And we have to remember that whether we like it or not, things are happening uh, from sexual education standpoint, from cultural standpoint, if you are, you know, the parent of a brown child and your child was being called some kind of ethnic slur, um, somebody's got to help teach that whole situation. Somebody's got to help deal with that. And when I talk to parents about this, they're like, well, that might have happened to you, but that doesn't happen. And it's like, no, it does happen. And actually, this is the breeding ground where it happens when when you have children using 
hateful, terrible language like the N-word, um, you know, and other der der derivations of it. What about protecting that child? What about making sure that child understands one, what that word even means, where it comes from, why someone might use it. Like there's a whole world there. And I think that's something that parents, they all think that their kids are these precious little angels and they are, all of them are God's children, but they are living in a world. They are not living in a social media bubble or a religious bubble. They are out there in the world and the things that happen to those children deserve some context. And I, that's just my, I mean, maybe that's just a very partisan opinion, but I think it is the job of the schools. It would have been very hard for me if no one talked about the existence of racism until I was in high school, when I started getting called the N word, when I was like in third grade. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that story. And, and I think sharing stories is part of creating a diverse and healthy environment. And I and so when you talked about part of the marketing is picking the stories you want to tell. And I, I think that's fantastic. And I think that is how we create a community of people. I guess my follow-up question to that is, how do you then create a coalition of people within the schools that can stand up to those who are going to push back against that? That is hard. Um, everybody's tired. Everybody's got COVID fatigue. You know, everybody just came off of years of dual online learning and masks and everything else. I guess what I'll say is something that came, a, a bastardized quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, which is, if you can't run, you walk. If you can't walk, you crawl, but you must keep going. And it's going to take all of us. Like, unfortunately, the days of us being like, I don't like talking about politics. I don't want to get involved in that. They're just over. That was a privilege and that's a privilege that's gone now. And you have to stand up. You have to make your voice heard. And, and candidly, a lot of what we're seeing in the legislature is parents standing up and making their voice heard. My argument would be there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, I, I actually studied critical race theory at Georgetown and I had never even heard of that context until college the notion that people are teaching critical race theory below the college level is inaccurate. But what is accurate is people are teaching about the existence of slavery and the fact that, you know, people were written into the constitution as three fifths of a person and, or were not allowed to vote until like 1920s. And they're taking issue with that. But that is a thing that happened. What you do with that might be a different discussion, but it did happen. <laughs> that happened. And that's what's hard because there are a group of parents that are doing exactly what I said, which is to get out there, get engaged. But in my opinion, and again, this is where my partisan hand is showing, they're moving from a place of misinformation. And I think it's really important for parents who are worried about what their kids are being taught to be curious first and not just go straight to the ballot initiative to say we're banning critical race theory, right? Because it's that's a it's a misnomer. It's not what's happening. It's like, if you really don't want your kid to learn about slavery, okay, I guess, but that may not be the purview of a public education. That might be something that you need to go look at a program that's that's not public education. I don't think it's right to to not teach historical facts. 
your time is precious. So we, yeah, I was going to say, we probably got to bring this thing to a close. Uh, Do you mind if I ask one more question and then I don't know. You can ask away. Okay. So (laughs) I'll give you this one. Um, What Brian and I really like is when the people who are listening can, can leave with something that they can act on. So I, I guess my question to you is, considering all the things that we've talked about, what's the first thing that you would recommend school leaders do when they take out their earbuds and they're back to work? Localize your message. What what we have right now is people hearing horror stories from, you know, very dubious news sources to potentially accurate stories from other news sources and taking that and running with it. Localize it, you know, to say, have some broad statement that they're radicalizing our children, right, which is a big statement that people are making, especially in rural communities. That may be something that you heard on Fox News or Newsmax. That may be something you read. Ask first. Ask, get curious, get involved, invite curiosity. For all the people out there that are listening, take like a bajillion deep breaths a day. This did not happen overnight. And I, I, I don't want to make you feel like it's never going to end, but it's not going to get solved overnight. But what you have to do is take those small steps, right? So it's getting involved. It's speaking up. You know, when someone says, you know, they're brainwashing our kids or they're radicalizing our children, say, hey, you know, that's those are that's a scary thought. But I can tell you in my school, in my classroom, we just teach this. We don't teach that. Um, You know, in our school district, that book has never been permitted, you know, help arm them with facts. I would very much encourage um, administrators to have a fact sheet ready. There's one thing you can do as administrators. It's like truth versus fiction, right? So here's an example. There are 10,000 books in the school library system. Parents are upset that of the, about the existence of about a hundred of those books, so of uh, so what is that math? Some teachers help me out here. What what's a hundred divided by ten thousand? Um, is that what's it? Is that one percent? Yeah, maybe one percent. It's less than one percent. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. Um, showing showing my teacher, so showing go. the failure of my education right there. <laughs> it's mostly just because I'm on my phone. I can't type in it. But that's a very small percentage. So even if those books do exist, let's just say the existence of these books is troubling to you as a parent. You are taking 1% of an issue and making it 100% of a problem. And so contextualizing these things is very important because I think as a parent who's probably overwhelmed, if I were to put myself in the parent's shoes, I'm trying to raise the best kids I can. The world's very scary. There's active shooters. There's um, drugs. There's mental health issues. There's COVID. I, As a parent, I'm just terrified and overwhelmed. So I might not want to spend the time going doing these deep dives. But if someone I trust brings forward information, I trust. And on the local level, this is much easier to do than at the national or even the state level. That can help me. Yes, Mrs. Smith pointed out that there are some books about sex education. Let me put those into context. Those are books that are available um, for kids that have questions. Those are books that are available here. Um, If you don't want your child to have access to that information, that's fine. But this is for the whole school, not for one child. This is for the whole school. So really helping put these facts into context, I think would be helpful. Like I said, if we're talking, if we're spending $400,000 of the school district's time talking about 1% of the books, what are we doing? 
So that's point number one. Have some facts ready. Make sure you are, you're you're armed with the facts. Move from the facts. Recognize that this is a very emotional issue for parents and probably for parent supporters. Um, and that you cannot expect everybody to have a rational dialogue when about an emotional issue. And so pick your battles. Um, the third thing I would say is look to history. I mean, that's why we teach it. This is, you are as horrible as this feels. This is not the first time educators have been in the crossfires of a political issue. I, I would love for you all to go look at the pictures of Little Rock School being integrated with guns and people screaming. I mean, that's that's recent history, <laughs> you know? So this we are not exceptional in our challenges, but we must be exceptional in our commitment to doing the work and bringing the truth forward. My goodness, thank you. Uh, I, I feel like I have a million questions, so I, I, I don't know <laughs> if I could justify asking one, um, but I'm gonna try here. Uh, just again, it. trying to find some sort of like concrete forth. Uh, yeah. I loved your comment of uh, if someone you trust, if a, if a parent trusts the school, they're going to be able to receive some of this uh, encouragement of this, hey, you're taking 1% of the problem, and I'm so glad that you guys are better at math than I am, because I would have said, <laughs> you're taking 10% of the problem, and you're making it 100% of the problem, which is great. Um, so this is just, uh, and I know you're, you're short on time here, this is to teachers specifically, who yeah. I do feel like, although there's always, uh, we're going to go to the principal, teachers oftentimes are the first wave of yes. or attack. And so if they are trying to gain this trust yeah. with a politically or just emotionally driven individual, have you over your years of, of expertise come up with a, a phrase or some sort of like, here's how you can kind of give somebody the empathy that they're looking for, but also guide them to where you need to go. So, most people just want to be heard. Most people feel incredibly powerless. And they are seeing you as a teacher, as the representative of everything they've heard about on the news, everything they've heard about from their church. You are the well, embodiment. Fears. You're the representative of their yeah. fears. Yeah. So they may not actually be talking to you in a mm. way that they are looking for a solution. They may just be sitting there screaming so one stay safe right don't ever put yourself in danger if you feel unsafe remove yourself from that situation two sometimes two is better than one so if you are in a situation with a parent or a constituent out at the grocery store just let them know hey i'd love to have this conversation with you it seems like you're pretty upset i i don't really understand how i am a part of that but i'd like to have this conversation with you is there a time we can talk Give yourself time. You don't have to be, I get paid a lot of money to just run my mouth all the time. So I'm pretty good in the paint. But most people have a fright, flight, fight, or freeze mode when they have when someone comes at them really strongly. I don't expect any teacher to be able to handle that other than to say, wow, this is a lot of information. Can we set up a time to talk about this? I know you're here right now, but it seems like you're really upset. I just want to listen to you. I don't know what else to say other than to listen, but I'd like to bring in more people so you can be heard. Yeah. At every point, try to engage these folks, but keep yourself safe. And also let them know that there's a good way to talk about this. And again, some of these folks, it's a very emotional topic and they just want to scream. And that's, is it okay? No, 
but you don't have to put up with that. Just say, hey, I, you know, this is, I, I want to hear you. I want to hear what you're saying. Right now you're screaming at me and that's really hard. Can we either lower the tone of this conversation or can we schedule a time where I can have a couple more decision makers here and we can talk about this? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So, hey, Brian, should we subject Jen to the usual end of episode process here? Uh, so, well, I don't so, think she has any takeaways. She's just been giving, I, giving, giving. I so. know. So <laughs> you can hang with us as we as we discuss our takeaways. So we end every episode with takeaways. I usually freeze, force him to go first. I will tell you, though, Jen, you could definitely jump in and give your takeaway if you have one. You can repeat anything you said, and it's going to be a great takeaway. Uh, I'm going to go first, though, because you did say something in there that I thought was was really important, and I think it it ties in nicely to what it truly means to have a, a community of people together. You said that there is a good time to be teaching and there is a good time to be listening. And as I've thought about some of the struggles that we're having more and more, it's the opportunity to tell your own story so that you belong and are accepted. And I really want our teachers to recognize that, that th- listening is a big part of what we're trying to do here, whether it's to the kids, to the parents, whoever it might be. And so for me, that phrase, sometimes it's a good time to be teaching. Sometimes it's a good time to be listening. Uh, That's my takeaway. Brian, what do you got? Well, I have a lot of things. One, Jennifer, don't be uh, swayed by Casey's, uh, you know, thoughts because he often takes what you said most recent and that's his takeaway so uh he he's pretty good it's always true uh but i i mean i've got three pages worth of notes here that i can have yeah it's insane uh and i just i just want to say first and foremost i'm so thankful that you're here because casey and i um we are just a bunch of schmucks trying to figure out this thing and to invite somebody on who actually knows what they're talking about who has real solutions it's been such an encouragement um but i think of most of what you said, what stuck out to me the most is just, it's a bumper sticker that I can, I can use and I can encourage myself and others was it's hard because it's hard, not because you're doing it wrong. Um, and that to me, it's not a pass, right? Like you could easily say that anytime things aren't going right. And you're like, Oh, it's just because it's hard. And sometimes, you know, you are doing it wrong, but sometimes (laughs) you are doing it right. Sometimes when you can look to your left and to your right and you ask your colleagues and you ask your bosses and you're like, why is this so hard? Why are we not moving? If we can all collectively say, listen, we believe in what we're doing. We believe in our mission statement. We believe in the, in the love and support we're giving our kids. We believe in the, the bridges we're trying to build with our community. It's just hard. We're not doing it wrong. It's just hard. There is a huge amount of relief from that that okay then let's just keep plugging along let's keep moving forward so that to me is the big one but i also just want to say thank you because typically i i carry the burden of using uh curse words casey never does and you have helped me out immensely with that by by bringing a few on the show so i just want to applaud you i was trying to stay out of my curse words how many did i get in there no i think you had like one one and a half in there and it just blessed my heart something fierce and so I think you nailed it in the coffin. It's going to be uh, Jennifer and Ty's from here on out. And I'm sorry, Casey. Well, so Jen, if you don't mind, could you give me your dog's contact info so I could get something going with Wait, him? Am I, I, I just want to see him. Oh, look, that's going to be great. That's way better than podcasting with you, Brian. Look at him. He's so cute. <laughs> He's already over it. He's already oh, annoyed. Yeah. He's like all yeah. of these takeaways. He's heard all this before. Yeah, yeah. 
he's like, instead of grumpy cat, he's grumpy dog. Oh man, uh, fantastic! Jennifer, All right, I'm gonna go. Well, I was right. gonna say I'm gonna go so you guys can set up your wilderness podcast. Is that uh, is that also yeah, what's happening? Dude, we're gonna kill it too. Uh, um, Jennifer, is there anything that you want to that you want to yeah, end on? Yeah, I was just gonna say like the you know these are very wild times, but they are not the first wild times. Hmm. They're not the last. It is that phrase. It's hard because it's hard. Um, always be curious, always be looking for solutions and then pace yourself, just pace yourself, you know, and, and we were, um, working with a, with a nonprofit recently, helping them develop their fundraising muscle. And, um, they were describing how a phone call went and I'm like, that's a win. Mm. Don't ever forget to celebrate the wins, even if they're really small, Mm. because it is a really long battle and you need to pace yourself. You need to be kind to yourself. And you need to celebrate your wins, however they come. Good note to end on. I like it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jen. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. I appreciate being on. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for all you do. We'll see you. Well, that was great. I think you and I had every intention to do like a a follow-up discussion. Not doing it. I don't think we need to. She got it. I loved it. She killed it. So thanks for those of you who are here. I just want to say a little bit of a plug on a couple different things. Number one. Uh, we just are thankful that you're here listening. If you wouldn't mind, uh, just give a shout out to somebody uh, like anybody else. We're trying to build our, our listener audience and it would just mean the world to us if you just kind of tag us in something uh, at Shirts and Ties. Uh, we're on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it now, X Twitter, um, uh, Shirts and Ties. Uh, send us an email. That's all I got, brother. What do you got? Ah, that's it, man. It's good stuff. That was fun. Thanks, Thanks for inviting Jim her forward. on. She was great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Until next week, do great things. And keep knocking. See you, buddy. See ya.